as I thought about the, the sermon series on Evermore, um, there's a few things that I haven't said yet that maybe some of you are still asking questions about, like the millennium, the thousand years, we take that literally, or is it metaphorical? Uh, how will Jesus come back? Is it a rapture? And maybe those are questions that we can leave another time. But I wanted to end that series with knowing that this was going to be a communion service with this vision of the banquet in heaven on the new earth when heaven and earth come together so we read from the Isaiah 25 and how Jesus referred to that some of his parables Matthew 22 and then we read these words from (coughs) Revelation 19 when this vision uh, this reality, this future hope is spoken about as well Revelation chapter 19 beginning to read it verse 1 so this is John's vision and we come to this point after this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting hallelujah salvation and glory and power belong to our God for true and just are his judgments he has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries he has avenged on her the blood of his servants And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen! Hallelujah! Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud pearls of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. (coughs) Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. <coughs> then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. <coughs> and then we asked God's blessing on these readings from his word. What we're thinking about here is the party of the universe, the wedding supper of the Lamb. So, what's the best invitation you've ever had? Which one stands out is when you open that envelope and you were just so excited that you were getting invited. Uh, to this function, to this event, to this gathering? Where were the two? What, which one has got you most excited? And I'm sorry if you can think of nothing that's ever got you excited. Or what's the best meal that you've ever enjoyed? What did you eat? Who cooked it? Where were you? 
What's the best memory that you have with friends when you laughed and you could be yourself and you didn't have to try and say something to, to make yourself look good than out of others. You could just be yourself and you were relaxed. And it was just a great evening. Put all these experiences together. Invitation, celebration, food, relationships. And you begin to get a small picture of what this event is that Scripture witnesses to. And if you've ever gone through the excitement of a wedding, and all the anticipation of what that day that is coming means for you and your family and for your loved ones, you get it again, sense the expectation of these words as they look forward to what is called the wedding banquet, the wedding supper of the Lamb. Here is the Bible's picture of that first event when Jesus comes back to claim this world for his own, when the kingdom of God comes, the new creation, when death is defeated, enemies are put aside, that when everything is at peace, this great banquet, this great party, of all the saints through all the ages gathered in worshipping Jesus. Does it not excite you that in God's plan he's going to begin with the party? The best party that everything in this life has ever looked forward to. The foundation of this vision goes back to Isaiah chapter 25. And on this mountain, God says, a day is coming, there is going to be a banquet of rich food, the best of meat, the finest of wines, in verse 6. And it's for all peoples, not just for Jews. It's the invitation goes out far and wide, it's to all peoples who want to be part of that, in verse 6. And what are they celebrating in Isaiah 25? The end of death, verse 8. Which, verse 7 says, is like a shroud that covers all the peoples. You imagine the shroud that covers people's faces or, 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 or covers uh, people's bodies in death. Death is like a shroud that, that covers all of us in this earthly journey. And the celebration banquet on Isaiah 25 is celebrating that, the, that death has ended. And verse 8, that the Lord himself will come and wipe away all tears. There will be no more tears. Because a new order has come. And in verse 8, that the Lord will remove all disgrace from his people, which means that he will deal with all those who are his people's enemies, who have abused them and treated them, mis mistreated them and killed them and punished them. That God will finally deal with his people's disgrace. What a hope! What a day is coming! And because God is often spoken, speaks of his people as his bride, and because it is the God's Messiah, this anointed one who was going to come, who will bring an end to this present uh, world of sin and tears, and inaugurate God's reign in this world again, that this rich feast that is spoken of in Isaiah 25, that will be brought in by the Messiah, began, is the it begins to be spoken about as the, the messianic, the Messiah's wedding banquet. So when Jesus comes, people have been talking about this for a long time. When is when's the kingdom of God going to come? And this party, this banquet, 
Uh, this is the end of enemies, the end of death. When is it going to come? And Jesus' first words are, repent, because the kingdom of God is near. God's reign is about to come in, but all this that has been prophesied will start to happen. It shoots around the corner. So, get your hearts ready, repent, uh, get your sins forgiven, and um, follow God's way, so that when he comes, when God's reign comes, you will be found in one of his own. And so Jesus' preaching is all about how the kingdom will come, when it's going to come, what it will come like. And often, in Jesus' parables, he speaks about a wedding banquet, or a king having a wedding banquet for his son. And so we read these words, one of them in Isaiah 22. And then when Jesus came to the Lord's Supper, he says to, he takes the bread and he says, remember my body broken for you. He takes the wine, remember my blood shed for you. We remember, so we will remember, we will look back to the forgiveness that Jesus offers on the cross. But then he says, I will not drink from this, the fruit of this vine from now until the day when I drink it and you with you in my Father's kingdom. I'm not going to take bread and wine again, like in this setting, until I drink it in this banquet, this, you know, this wedding supper of the Lamb, and we will share it together when death has been defeated and all things have been made new. So every time we take communion, we look back to what reconciles us in a relationship to, to God. Faith in Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But we're also looking forward to the day when it will not be the minister who will distribute the elements, but Jesus himself in this great banquet of rich food and, and wine and, and the meats in the context of that will remember why we are there. How did we get here? Because the Lamb of God at one point took away the sins of the world and through faith in him we are on that journey. Not only looking back, but looking forward to the day when all things are made new. This is what's going to happen when God heals this world of all that is wrong with it. And so if I can bring these three passages together and many others that in your own Bible reading you will come across, it's all about an invitation. You are invited to a party. Not just any party. This is God's party. Revelation 19. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. In Matthew 22, the, the king, as the excuses came in, sends out his servants, go and invite everybody you find, the poor, the lame, uh, whoever you find, tell them they're all invited. No one's it. No, uh, uh, no, everybody is welcome to this wedding banquet. Everyone is invited. You are invited to a party. Jesus in his ministry preached about a God of grace who reached out to everyone. He touched the hearts of the common people in a way that the religious leaders of the day never could. Because the religious leaders always made them feel as if they were not good enough for God to look upon them with favour. And that they could never be good enough for God to take any interest in them. Whereas Jesus comes along and he preaches about a God of boundless grace who is like a, a father waiting for his prodigal son, welcoming for 
anybody who would come to him in repentance, no matter how bad or how, what terrible things they've done in their life. Jesus preaches into um, a religious atmosphere dominated by the categories of law and sin. And Jesus preaches about a kingdom of God that is coming and God's invitation to all who would like to be part of it. And that's why thousands followed him wherever they went. He talked about God's gracious invitation no matter who you are. By his hospitality he accepted anyone. By his friendship he, he gave that grace to anyone. Lepers are included because he stopped for lepers, he even touched them and he healed them. Samaritans are welcomed. Story about a good Samaritan, or in John 4, he spent time with a Samaritan woman at a well in Samaria. Shepherds are included because the angels, uh, when the Messiah was born in Bethlehem, are sent uh, to tell them that a Savior is born for them in, in David's time. Whereas the Pharisees said that the God could not be interested in the shepherds because they were up in the mountains so long they could never get back to the temple to offer sacrifices or take the Sabbath day seriously. The blind and the lame were included because he tells this parable about God's invitation going specifically to them. Tax collectors are included because he accepts invitations to party in their house like Zacchaeus. Over and over again, Jesus heals. He talks to, he stops, he tells stories of why he is dinner with people who find themselves on the margins of the religious and social life of Israel. Because God's invitation goes out far and near. It's the seed of the parable of the sword that's scattered indiscriminately. Wherever it lands, his word goes out. It's a gracious invitation to all who would like to be a part of God's party that is coming. You're invited to God's party in the world to come. But it's not just about great food. It's a celebration of life eternal, eternal and the feet of death. It's a celebration of healing in our whole bodies, of tears wiped from any, every eye, of enemies removed, and glorious worship that gets you in your very being. You are invited to God's party. The invitation goes out to anyone, no matter who you are. Jesus demonstrates that, that no matter who you are, no matter what your past, everyone is invited. The question is, what will you do with the invitation? See, Jesus' parable in Matthew chapter 22, the excuses start to go back of the people who cannot come to the, the, the son's wedding banquet of this great king. Oh, one person needs to go out and buy a field so he can't come. But you can buy a field any day. Or the king's son's wedding only happens once in a lifetime. Why would you give up going to a one and a time in a life event for something that you can do any other day. So these excuses in Matthew 22 come back, and they are ridiculous excuses of why people will not accept the invitation to the banquet. In fact, they're exceptionally rude. It shows that they don't value the king, who is king of their country, Jesus' parable. No wonder the king is angry about the way that he has been treated. People are full of excuses today about why they can't 
commit themselves to, to discipleship, to being part of God's church, to make the love of God their number one thing in their heart, and the love of neighbour second. And so, I would start going through the excuses today, and leave that for another time, but you think of the excuses that people give you, of why they don't want to follow Jesus. But what does it mean to accept is what I want to talk about today. What does it mean to accept? One part of it is that if you accept this invitation, you accept it by living faithfully. When you get an invitation that you you don't want to miss, you make sure that nothing else will double book you on that day. Or that you, depending on the invitation, say it's an invitation to go to London, you will plan to make sure that you're there on time, but buy your plane ticket, your hotel, you will make sure, you will orientate your life around that invitation if it means so much to you. When you get a clash of dates, the invitation that you choose to accept and the one that you choose to reject, it's dependent on which one is gets you more excited, which one means more to you. So when you accept God's invitation, you are declaring that this date is fixed in your life calendar and you will make sure that nothing will make you miss this wedding banquet in your life. That nothing will come between you and this divine event. So therefore you have to wait for it faithfully for what it means to live in the light of this invitation that is coming. In Leo Tolstoy's War and Peace, you encountered a beautiful young lady, Lady Natasha Rostov. Everyone who sees Natasha falls in love with her. And in uh, War and Peace, she's engaged to the noble and upright Prince Andre. But because she's too young, she can't marry him immediately. And so the marriage is delayed for a year. And through that year, through War and Peace, you, you see this Natasha is a character who wins the heart of everyone who follows the story. And you want joy and happiness for her. She's such a lovely young woman. Finally, Andre, Prince Andre, comes back to claim his bride. She has been waiting faithfully for him for a whole year. But on the last night, before their marriage, she is wooed by a worthless reprobate named Anatole, who is already married. And as you follow the story, you want to warn her. You want to shout out at her to wait for Andre. He's good for you. He's the best for you. This Anatole is a charmer. He, he will ruin your life. Stay away from him. But Natasha is completely swept away. She agrees to elope with this reprobate called Anatole, but at the last minute she is rescued from certain destruction. But Prince Andre can never forgive her, and they never marry. When you accept Jesus' invitation, you are saying that his way is the best for you. And he warns us continually in Jesus' ministry about being like Natasha, easily seduced from what is best for us in our lives. We all need to be reminded and convinced that the one who is coming, the Lord Jesus Christ, is worth the wait. He's worth the sacrifice. He's worth the the choices that you make in this life because of what he will bring in by this party and this new creation that is coming. 
He's worked the way so that the seducers who would ruin our lives don't make us unforgivable when the one to whom we are betrothed comes to claim us as his bride. So Revelation 19 contrasts the, the fall of the prostitute with the beauty of the bride that's coming. The prostitute in Revelation is, the, is Babylon, who is a symbol of the world's idolatry and immorality. The bride is the symbol of the church, God's people. And John in Revelation wants to move the people who read this book, this Revelation, to live for the church and not for Babylon, not for the prostitute, not for the world. He wants them to live for righteousness and to stay fast in that way and not for smuts. To live for Christ and not for Satan. And so he sets by side this church, the judgments that are coming on Babylon, this great prostitute, and the glory of the bride that is coming for them. The whole book of Revelation is probably read aloud in Christian worship uh, when David had met. And earlier, the, the congregation would have heard the, the words to Smyrna in chapter 2, verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. You will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. You be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Suffering will come, church. Tribulation, imprisonment, and even martyrdom, John says to the church in the Revelation, are waiting for you. But because you're invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, you're blessed. It's worth the wait because Jesus is enough. He is enough in the face of persecution. He is enough for you when you face imprisonment and even death. He's enough when you face cancer and inconvenience. God is going to display his glory in all the earth. And he's going to claim you as his own. He is worth the wait no matter how bad that journey to that day may be. When you accept Jesus' invitation... You are declaring that he is enough for your life. And so you commit yourself to, to wait faithfully for him until that day that the invite points to arrives. To accept means to, to wait faithfully. And finally, to accept means to dress appropriately. Everyone is invited, but that does not mean you can come as you are. You have to dress appropriately for the day. People find it confusing that the church says everyone is welcome. Anybody can come here and worship with us. But then it seems to say uh, on the other way, but you can't take communion because of your life choices or we can't baptize your baby or we can't marry you or, or, or. And people find it confusing. You say everybody is welcome and then you turn around and say, well, actually you're not really welcome. Where is the love and grace that you preach about? People say, where is the love of Jesus for he accepted anybody? But Jesus didn't accept anybody. He welcomed anybody, but he challenged them to change. People mix up the invitation that goes out indiscriminately and what it means to then accept it and to dress appropriately for the wedding. When you get a wedding invitation, you don't really come in your shorts and your t-shirt. You dress appropriately for, the, for, the, for what the invitation is pointing to. So everybody is invited to God's party, but you have to dress appropriately for what that means. So, at the end of Matthew 22, the king comes into his son's wedding banquet and finds some people who are not wearing wedding clothes. He says, how did you get in here? Well, I wedding clothes. 
get out. And they're thrown out of the wedding banquet. That sounds a bit harsh to us, but culturally it was the custom for wedding guests to be given the wedding clothes to wear. You didn't have to go out and shop yourself. If you're invited to a wedding by a king, the king will give you the wedding clothes to wear at the, the wedding banquet of his son. So some people have come, but they obviously refuse to wear the clothes that have been provided for them to wear at the wedding. Even in Revelation 19, uh, fine linen is given for you to wear fine linen stands for the righteous uh, acts of the saints. So, there's a cultural thing here that you're given the wedding clothes to wear at a wedding and these will say, I don't want to wear your wedding clothes. I'm quite happy with what I wear down in the street. But it's an insult to the host. It shows that the guests are arrogant because they thought, I don't need to wear what the king has provided for me. What does it mean to dress appropriately in this picture? What does it mean for us spiritually to dress appropriately to accept this invitation? In Matthew 22, the whole gospel of Matthew is about what it means to be a disciple. So you come to them and go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. So dressing appropriately is actually following the way of Jesus, doing what he asks us to do, observing everything that he has commanded us to do. Love Lord your God with all your heart, love your neighbour, forgive your enemy, do good to your, do good to your enemy, turn the other cheek. In Revelation, it, it, it's obviously about the fine linen for the righteous acts of the saints. I want to close with a story. Uh, what the, uh, the A.M. Carson tells. Uh, he's a New Testament uh, theologian who's written many books. Uh, his wife is from England, so they spend kind of six months a year in Canada, six months in England, and they usually go back to a Baptist church in Cambridge where they were married. And he talks about a medical doctor who had worked uh, in, a, in North Africa for many years in a deeply uh, Islamic country, and he worked in a leprosy hospital. And he gave great sacrifice for what he did there. He talks about him as a quiet, gentle man, married, been involved in Christian ministry all his life. And he comes back and settles in, in Cambridge, and he's doing further medical research, and he's asked to be an elder in the church. Because he's known for his quiet godliness, his wisdom and counseling, and he has helped so many people. And then suddenly out of the blue, he leaves his wife, and moves in with his nurse and says he's not coming back to church anymore. No one saw this coming. He's up there in the church, he's the most godly people, person that the whole church thought about. And suddenly they find out he's moved in with his nurse and he's not coming back to church anymore. And they're processing as a church all this where did it come from? How did it happen? He's counseled by the minister, he is warned about what he is doing. But he's excommunicated because he refuses to accept what they're saying, and he, it's all very painful. He never did go back to his wife, there's no hope of reconciliation. He married this other nurse, and then he goes to a church that denies just about everything and lets him get away with whatever he wants to do morally. A church that just justifies him in the lifestyle that he now wants. And his wife brings up their girls on their own. So during all this time, the senior pastor is going through agonies. Partly because of damage it did to his church community, and partly because he's lost confidence in his ability to distinguish people. If this son leaves his wife and moves into the church, and 
He's just that kind of lovely Christian guy. How do you really know what's going on in people's hearts? So two years later, John Carson meets him again. And they're both going to preach at the same conference. And as they're driving along, he says to the pastor, Okay, Roy, it's been two years now since all this happened. Why, hindsight is a wonderful thing. What do you think about the whole business now? And the pastor of the church says, I've come to the conclusion that never in his life did he ever make a fundamental decision that cost him anything. And Don Carson's shocked. This guy's a missionary in a Muslim country. He gave up so much to be there. He worked in a leprosy hospital. And you're telling me this. And the pastor says, hear me out. Brought up in a Christian home. He's a late addition to the family. Three old, their sisters, who all doted on him. These wonderful parents who spoiled him rotten. He's the kind of nice child who tried to please his parents every time he turned around. And every time he did anything wonderful, his sisters always thought he was wonderful. Then he goes off to university and he gets involved in the Christian Union. And everybody thinks he's wonderful there. He's chair of the group. And everybody thinks he's wonderful and spiritual. Then he goes out as a missionary and he's pursuing his own research. He's a medical doctor and he's writing great papers on what he's discovered in the leprosy hospital. And he's a hero in his family, in his church, and his circle of friends and his acquaintances. Then he comes back and settles in Cambridge and he's approved by the church. Everybody thinks, what a great person you are, what you've done with your life, and how you've given it up to work in a Muslim country. And he thinks he's wonderful, everybody says he's wonderful. And then comes a lot of pretty nurse. And for the first time in his life, the pastor said, he's got to make a choice between what he wants to do and what's right. And he does what he has always done. He does what he wants to do, only for the first time, it's not right. Here's the man who's gone through life, pulled everybody because he came out of a Christian subculture, brought up in the church. It's nice to go to church on Sunday, speak to people. It's good to, good to be part of a church. I think I have this hope so that God's always there for me. But he never, his profession of faith was never questioned because it just fitted into his lifestyle nicely. He always did what he wanted to do, though. He never learned to take up his cross daily and follow Christ. He never sacrificed anything for the sake of Christ because he hadn't yet faced up to anything that required him to do so. He enjoyed being a missionary and a medical doctor. And you couldn't tell which way his heart was until he got to a place where he had to make a choice between staying faithful to his wife or his attraction to this pretty nurse. And he did what he always wanted to do, but this time it wasn't the way of Christian faith. And in that moment, the true allegiance of his heart was revealed for what it was. You're about to go to party. Will you accept it? How do you know you've accepted it? You're accepting it by waiting faithfully and by dressing appropriately by following Jesus' way. You know, you'll soon be making plans for Christmas. You invite it maybe to your son and daughter's home. You love them. How many of you are going to ring them up and they say, we're going to have our Christmas gathering and this day? And you say, I've got maybe another day. I'll just stay home and watch TV. You, know, you don't want to miss it because you love your family. You're invited to God's eternal party. You may accept the invitation, but you haven't really 
if there's no desire for holiness, if there's no rest in the sacrifice, whether it's financially or moral, morally for the sake of Christ, if there's no desire to pursue being a disciple, we are like a bride sometimes who's getting married but couldn't care less what will happen on the day. That's no marriage, that's no love of the person you're marrying. We are invited to God's party in this world that he is making you again. Does that get you excited? Is that your hope? Can you see that is the longings of your heart? Jesus warns us at the end of Matthew 22, many are called but few are chosen. Many are invited, the invitation was out indiscriminately, but few get in. Because few respond to the call appropriately. Nobody just dumps walks into heaven without a care in the world. You are there because you've consciously made a choice that this is the this is the word I want to be. The alternative is devastating. To be thrown outside the party in Matthew twenty two, or to be condemned along with the prostitute uh, and Babylon in Revelation nineteen. To miss out on it all and to lose everything. And so the question is, do you want it with all your heart or don't you? You can't play with sin as if it's no great matter. Don't do anything that you would be embarrassed about if other people discovered. That's a sign you're doing something that is dark in your heart. You've got to repent from that. You've got to seek God's way of righteousness. That's what we are all about. We accept this gracious invitation no matter who we are, but we know we've got to dress appropriately to receive the blessing of God now and for what is coming. If you're on the South African rugby team, your life has forever been changed by what has just happened. There is no other team. There's nothing else. You are, you've gone into history. Now I see that the World Cup winning team. It was worth it all. It was worth the sacrifice, the pain and the bruising and the broken arms, whatever came along that journey to be a part of that glorious celebration that their lives and life will ever be changed by. This is even bigger. Isaiah 25, what God has promised and what Jesus says is near, that he is bringing in this new dawn. So every time we take this bread and the wine, we're looking back to how we get in by faith in Jesus, but we're looking forward to what it points towards, tangibly through bread and wine, the celebration of all the ages in the party of God's banquet that is coming.